Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Cheezo. Marsh 2, week 2 is done and dusted. We got to see some new teams, some new games, some new faces. And I've got JB on with me tonight to talk all things Supercoach, mate. How are you? Good, mate. It's, uh, I'm a bit nervous. It's great to finally meet one of my heroes, uh, Cheezo from Dr. Supercoach. Mate. It's uh, it's always nice to meet a fan. Um, <laughs> did, you, did you remember to bring a, a felt pen just so I can sign something for you? Uh, look, I've brought three just in case they went dry on the way up. So <laughs> three um, different colours, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, three photos of just the Doctor Supercoach logo because obviously you are an anonymous person in the, on the internet. So <laughs> not anymore. Not since we got the YouTube channel, mate. So a quick shout out for that if you want to see my face. If you want to see my face, that's it. JB's a little bit. Uh, he's gone into hiding when I bring the camera out. So uh, uh, maybe we can coax him out of his shell at some point. But we are here to talk about <laughs> Supercoach. And uh, everything that is going on in the preseason, and something that we do have going on in the preseason, JB, is our doctor's daily dose, mate. They're pretty, uh, pretty exciting episodes that you get to be a part of. And it's not a metaphor. Doctor's daily dose is daily, and uh, it could be the best idea and the worst idea we've ever had. Uh, it's the best content we've probably ever produced, but also the most time-consuming content we've produced. I think we're all, uh, all a little bit tired from the daily content, but it is honestly, even for us to listen back to it is the probably some of the best stuff we've produced it's funny when we do these deep dives we think that certain players are just absolute locks or you know not even worth considering and then we kind of go through the motions and you know just you know just dig into them a little bit further and suddenly they're working our way into all of our teams which is <laughs> which is the surprising thing i think we're going to have about 45 premiums in there by the end of it but <laughs> that, that, that's the hard part because we, we end up just like confirmation biasing ourselves into it <laughs> picking all these players uh they are those doctors uh, daily dose podcasts are behind the patreon wall if you do want to join it's patreon.com forward slash doctor supercoach and we do have some patrons that we do have to shout out for joining in the past week we've got kurt main justin babuchek ryan pritchard Cade howard norden van wingerden ryan keelty brad lucas paul brady adam schneider lawrence carter west of westeros uh, jack curl ben kelberg kevin event TK Alden, Hayden Erock, Matthew Neeson, Braden Lee, and Adam. And if I've said any of those wrong, make sure you let me know. I've been called out last week, JB. And I've got you know I've got the, the the donation to the Cancer Council for any patrons' names that get called out wrong this year. I'm, I'm already up a, a couple from last week, which is a uh, I, I feel like I need to put a cap. You know, it's like one of those <laughs> those you know those charity games where you know, every six is like a, a ten grand or something like that up to a certain point. I think I, I really need to bring that in in the next couple of weeks. But we, we might have to introduce the. Mer- Rule, but I can tell you right now, <laughs> you did get Hayden Erock's name right. He's a, he's a friend of mine, unfortunately for myself, but yes, you, you did nail that one. So you're at least one for 10 there. I was going to make a, an error, Eroc pun, but I'm not going to. We're going to move on straight away to <laughs> the Patreon competition that we had running uh, to join up before the 1st of March in the preseason. There was going to be one lucky patron that won the AFL Prospectus. We're doing a little random name generator live on the podcast here, JB. It's ticking away. And the winner is... Aaron Catelty, congratulations, Reed. Aaron. No, Reed. Get in touch with us, and we'll Absolutely send this. Reed. We'll send. You know we'll send this. We'll send this prospectus off to you. So make sure you can uh, hit us up in the Slack channel, and uh, we'll get that sent out to you. All the non-winners, hit him up as well, because I, um, I would be filthy about that. That felt rigged from the start. 
JB, we're going to jump straight into some more Supercoach news. Uh, this year, uh, today, we heard that Blake Hardwick uh, has suffered an injury and is going to be out for a period of time, and that's relevant. I thought I'd bring up at the start because Hawks played last week, and so we uh, by the end of the podcast, we might you know forget about it. But that might have some impacts on maybe a rookie and a premium that we we could be looking at in our defensive line this year. Yes, yeah, so a pectoral issue there um i don't know if it's quite torn but i think it's approximately eight to ten weeks out so it must be um so that does have quite the implication on a couple of players as you said greaves being the first one i feel like he just slots straight into that spot now it doesn't say a lot about his job security if it does require an injury for him to be in there but um i suppose can be said about a lot of players in past years when they get in there some players are just really good at keeping their spots in that starting 22. So with form, I think Greaves can have a good at least month or two in the side to make us some cash, which is great. He obviously has to perform in March 2 to solidify that spot because there are players, you know, obviously fighting for that spot. So the other person that it might affect is James Sicily. Now, I think a few people are thinking negatively about this, thinking Sicily might go into a lockdown role. I feel like that's what... hard. Uh, Hardwick's replacement will do this for Sicily I think only could benefit him in the fact that it Hardwick was taking most of the kickouts he kind of had a monopoly over that at Hawthorne Sicily for the first few rounds I think will, will probably take over that role unless they share it around it would make a lot of sense because Sicily can punt at 50 meters on someone's chest so I feel like we're going to be seeing slightly higher scores from Sicily to start the season as well yeah, so uh, definitely watching for Marsh 2 to see what the roles look like and who's taking kickouts. But um, maybe some positives to come from uh, an unfortunate injury and things like that. So uh, JB will jump into section of the podcast where we go through the Marsh games and there is a lot to talk about. We thought this might be a quick one because there's uh, less games than last week. But these four games were absolutely jam-packed. We'll start off with Essendon and the Eagles. A very, very interesting game in terms of Supercoach for us. We all had our eyes uh, on the likes of the roles for, you know, Dev Smith and Parrish. Uh, but if we first turn our attention to the Eagles, we are interested to see how Tim Kelly would go. He pretty much just, you know, slotted straight into that lineup as, uh, you know, he's still in a Geelong jumper. I don't know if it's just me, but he kind of looked like he ate the Tim Kelly of 2019. <laughs> he looked like he had a bit more weight on him. I don't know if that's just the home cooking back at West Coast. Uh, maybe he's getting mum cooking his home-cooked meals there. So we all know what that's like. Um, but Tim Kelly, he just looked a little bit slower. He was clean as ever. I, I tell you, he was, again, one of the only players out there that could grab the ball with, you know, just on the half volley, on the volley, whatever it may be. Tim Kelly is one of the cleanest players in the AFL, no doubt. Just the 100 supercoach points, 85% time on ground uh, to get the 27 disposals. If you've got him in your midfield, I don't think he really would have installed much confidence in you uh, with starting him. Perhaps one to watch during the season rather than in your starting squad, but see how we go March 2 as well, I suppose. I mean, it was un-Tim Kelly-like. He went at 59% by foot, but he did have 85% time on ground, so... I, if I was looking at starting Tim Kelly and I really thought he was an option this year, I would personally not be deterred by that performance. And 27 touches in his first hit out in a new side and plus a goal is it's just basically what he does. That's his role. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not deterred by that. Um, and another West Eagles player that is interesting for 
his price as well as the start in the you know the starting run that the Eagles have is JJK, JB. It's six goals straight. Is he a sneaky kind of you know jump the gun player that we could be looking at to start this year? They don't have the worst start to the season. Yeah, so he's looking fit. Uh, just the 10 disposals in this one, obviously six of them were goals, hence the high score of 122 for Supercoach. But I I just don't know. If I'm going to go for a key forward, I think Tom Lynch really catches my eye. But JJK, he's not really... I mean, he's had good Supercoach years in the past when he was competing for the, the Coleman medal, but I just don't see him as the type of player that's going to knock down that top six um, and alternatively not make a whole lot of money in the process. So... For me, I'd like to avoid him, but he is a lot slimmer. He, he looks like he's really fit this season. He's had a good preseason as well, as well documented by the club. He's one to watch, but for, I, I just think it'd be too risky to start in your forward line, especially okay. with how many mid-prices we have in there at the moment. And a lot of us, you know, this is not a shot at pistol, but our sides are becoming mid-price madness when we're seeing a lot of these guys that we were considering or just keeping an eye on. Suddenly, we're now just stuffing them into our sides and, <laughs> and, and can, you know, our, our structures are just all over the place, There's scaffolding with, you know, no foundation. So uh, it's interesting to talk about. And, you know, he has the potential to have games like this where he just puts up ridiculous numbers and that price is a little bit tempting kind of the same reason why there are a lot of coaches looking at a Tom Lynch um, in that respect as well so I thought it was uh, you know interesting to bring up we will talk about some of the midfielders for Essendon now JB Parrish really good to see that he was running through the midfield there's always been this concern on his tank, and he still only played 65% time on ground for his 115 super coach, which is important to note. Yeah, so I don't know how much the time on ground was affected by the thunderstorm in this game because they did go off for a while. I think the fan footy website kept on tracking the time on grounds as as they were still on there. So maybe someone like Parrish's is a bit low. Maybe it was closer to 70 75%. I have to get that fact check, but I swear I read something about that during the week. So, um, that's I mean not to deter anyone from starting him off of the base of this game because 115 off even 70, 75 percent time on ground is still excellent. But it's probably if it's closer to the 70, 75, that's really what he averages anyway. So it's it's not like it was like crazy low and he still had a huge score regardless. But him playing midfield and scoring this and being forward eligible. He just throws his, his name into the mix of all those players that we're looking at, like Petrarca, um, Jordan Dawson is selectable as a, as a forward, Jack Stevens still yet to play, Dev Smith. You know, We've got so many of these types of players. Parrish, I think, is well in the mix to, to be a real option there. Yeah, and like if, we, if we're looking at the, uh, the centre bounce attendances, uh, he was the third highest Essendon midfielder behind Dylan Shield with 22, Zach Merritt with 21, Parrish had 17. So he definitely had that, uh, that midfield role, and he has the pedigree of being a midfielder from his junior years. The two things that hold back his scoring, which um, you know, is no surprise to anyone, is that he's been constantly, you know, building a tank. He's never had that that really elite tank that can, you know, a Sam Walsh, for example, that could play ninety five percent game time if he was forced to. Uh, and also his disposal efficiency. He went sub fifty percent in disposal efficiency at forty eight. 
and it it kind of just aligns with the player the player that he is. He's always been a low efficiency player, so I think that kind of caps his ceiling uh, in Supercoach for that reason. As a forward, I think that he's definitely option to you know keep an eye out for, uh, but I wouldn't be you know expecting him to be you know going one ten plus that I've seen some people touting. I think our expectations need to be lowered a little bit in terms of Darcy Parish, and we don't know if he's going to keep that role you know, in the season proper. So uh, definitely one to watch, um, keep on the watch list, but I wouldn't be putting in there just yet. Uh, Devin Smith is another one that we do have to talk about, JB. Saved face in the second half. In the first half, I think in the first 10 minutes, I'd taken him out of my side, and he just snuck his way back in there with his, second, his third and fourth quarter where he spent some more time around the ball. But it's just not... It doesn't give us much confidence that he's had this amazing preseason. He's ready to get back into you know the AFL lifestyle and play 22 games. He's had such a big preseason. He spends the first two quarters basically sitting forward doing nothing. It's like he played two different games of footy here. So the whole first half was up forward, and then the whole second half was around the midfield. So it's it's confusing because you know just play him in one spot and, and see if he can dominate the game for you. But maybe it was, you know, he's had a long time out of the game now, uh, approaching 12 months between, you know, AFL games. Maybe he was eased into it in the first half as a forward and then sent into the midfield after he, you know, worked up a bit of touch around the footy. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but he has become more intriguing to me. So the fact that he still scored 87 whilst playing a whole first half up forward, uh, he's still got his tackles with uh, six, it sort of just says to me that if he does end up playing more midfield than what he did in this game, he really can go around that 90-95 average. And you know that that at that price point is amazing. That's exactly what you want from him. So March 2, I'll be watching a lot closer than I did on this one. And I'm I'm with you. He was out of my heart and my team in the first half and now he's back in it after you know a couple of days of thinking about it. Yeah, well I I tell you this. We don't have Heppel there. He'll come back um, early on in the season. We had Dylan Shield with 22 centre bounces, Zach Merritt with 21, Darcy Pash with 17, Andrew McGrath with 15. I think they're probably all ahead of Devin Smith in terms of um, you know midfield pedigree, and so it it it's kind of that that I'm I'm taking more of a negative light from it in the fact that. You know, he only went into the midfield when you know Zach Merritt came off for a rest towards the end of the year. He he was substituted in rather than being the starting midfielder. Um, and you know, I'm scared, JB. I I I feel like I'm going to pick him and he's going to go mid 80s, and I'm going to be really disappointed with the selection. Uh, on top of that, he did spend uh, he did have nine sorry six centre bounce attendances. On top of that, where he started on the wing, which was also pre- pleasing. So he had 15 for the game where he was up around the ball, which is intriguing, but um, certainly not, you know, showering with me confidence in, in any any respect. He also went at a low disposal efficiency as well, which hurt his score. But um, he's he's still sitting there in my side just for the moment. I just need to see another game just to get that little bit more confidence, JB. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I've seen it go backwards and forwards on Twitter so much, but I think we see, we do need to see more game time. Um, another uh, Essendon player that we should talk about is Zerk Thatcher. Margaret, he had a good game, 
But the scary thing is, in what looked like a great game for him, he still only scored 61. And at that elevated price of 189000 in Supercoach, I'm not totally sure he's a viable option as a rookie price selection. Yeah, so he is pricey. His job security isn't rock solid. Uh, he had a good score of 61, but you, for that price, like you said, you'd expect more uh, between 70 to 80 per week. Yeah, just I, I think ten of his fourteen disposals were intercepts, which is sensational. But what happens when you don't get ten intercepts in a game? Like, what if you know of those fourteen disposals, instead of four of them being you know chip around the backs, what if you know eight of them become chip around the backs and he only scores you know fifty odd? So I don't know. I, I, I've I, I've seen a lot of people with him in their team. He just doesn't tick either the scoring potential or the job security box for me. So for at, at the moment, it's a pass. But, I mean, he could have had one of his quietest games for the year just now. So <laughs> we'll have a look at Marsh too. Like, honestly, like, he could just be working into it. He Marsh went at too, 92% as well. So, yeah, like, oh, he... he, he, bring- he tick, thing is, like, he, he did a lot of things to maximize his score and he didn't score that highly, which is bad. But the fact of the matter is, he could do the exact same things and just have one or two more disposals all of a sudden, next week, he's in 70-75 range, and we think, oh, he's more comfortable at AFL level. Maybe that's what it is. He becomes a question. So just see what happens March 2, but on the first sighting of him, I'm, I've not got him in my team. All right, we'll talk about another expensive rookie-priced player. Not a rookie, but rookie-priced in Jacob Townsend. Over from the Tigers, just not what we would really want to see for someone at you know the low 200s price range starting forward got a few touches applied a bit of pressure um as per usual with Jacob Townsend most of his touches came from contested possessions but I just don't think he's ever you know he's I don't think he's going to be a a, a cash generator for us at all JB this year I, th- I think he's uh, there's a line through his name for me yep same here we needed to see him run through the midfield a, a lot more than what he did uh, he was barely sighted through there, playing mostly up forward with a team, you know, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, without Heppel in it as well. Um, I just, I don't think that's going to be his role this season. Um, maybe in a couple of years' time, that's what they see him as. But for us this season at that inflated price, it, essentially, it's one one strike and you're out for Townsend. Yeah, sure. All right, we'll talk about a bit of an unknown rookie from the Eagles that we, uh, you know, kind of weren't really expecting in Bailey Williams magically somehow got uh, defender ruck eligibility through a little bit of a mix-up, JB, which is absolutely sensational. Like, I wish more of these kind of DPP mixed-up <laughs> happened more often. You know, suddenly they come out and go, oh, actually, Danger was supposed to be a DPP. Hold on, we'll give you four DPP with Danger. That'd be great. Um, rucking for West Coast, he's just behind a few of their big tools that I find it difficult to see him, you know, getting into their side, particularly as a, a you know, playing that tall forward ruck role. I think it's going to be hard to force his way into the Eagles side. Yeah. So for those who don't know, um, Bailey Williams for Western Bulldogs is the one that caused this mix up. They gave this BJ Williams that Bailey Williams. <laughs> you can see how you get mixed up. Yes. I could see how they got mixed up now. Um, so they gave him that status as a defender and then they realized someone pointed it out to them on Twitter. Now, like, oh, yes, we did give the wrong guy the wrong status. So then they made him ruck defender because they couldn't take him out of the defense line because people already had him in the team. So it really was a mix-up. And now we've got a, a def- defender ruck that I don't think we've ever had before who plays as a ruck forward. But as you said, uh, job security is the issue. He is seemingly around the pace with 
Hickey and Vardy. Um, if he's not already ahead of them, he's at least you know either slightly behind them or on the on the same or on par. But then he's got Allen as well to contest with. Uh, so I just I think there's too many big bodies there. He might play a few games here or there, but not one that I can see playing week in and week out for enough time to make us money before the buy. Yeah, a lot of these players that we pick in our starting side, we really should be trying to nail as you know high job security players. I just don't think he's going to have enough of that for me. People are you know happy to put him in there with the DPP and use him as the, you know the rolling lockout because the Eagles typically play a lot of later games in the weekend. Um, you know if that's what you want to do, that's that's perfectly valid. Uh, he's only 124k in SuperCoach, so um, and he might get games at certain times, uh, but I just don't. I want my rookies if I'm, you know, particularly if I'm putting him in my defense line at D8, I want to be making as much cash as I can as quickly as I can. Uh, I'd I'd rather do that and, and grab a, a, a rookie that's got good job security over someone that uh, may play, may be a donut, and then they're playing when you need them to be a donut. It's just, it becomes a nightmare. So uh, we'll move on to the next one in Jared Brander. He didn't have the greatest score, but I tell you what I did like, JB. He had okay disposal efficiency, not too bad. He had 72% time on ground, which I thought was great. And he had a lot of centre bounce attendances where he'd lined up on the wings. 22 of the centre bounces for the Eagles, he was on the wings, which was the highest for the Eagles on the game. And that's touted as the role that he's going to be having. So it's one of these situations where, you know, these players come out in the preseason, you know, he's going to get more mid-time, going to get more defense time, whatever. They came out and said that Brander's looking to be played on the wing in 2020. And guess what? He was the highest attendee of the wings for the Eagles on, on, the, uh, on the Thursday game. That's really encouraging to see. It's great, isn't it? Now, he obviously only scored 46, I believe it was. Yeah, 46. Um, which is not great. Probably not one that you want to be chucking straight onto your field. But these wing players, they really are dependent on a couple of things. So first of all, I think when they look like they're about to flog a team, that's when a wing player is really in their prime super coach position. Now, uh, we saw Dersma score obviously well in, in wins. And then when the game was either tight or when Port were getting flogged, he was sort of one of those players that dropped back a bit. It's just that wing role it has a lot of inconsistencies about it. So... He might be fieldable when West Coast play, you know, I don't want to name teams at the moment and, and really say that they're going to be down in the bottom four, but when they play a team like that, that you expect them to beat heavily. Just say it, when... isn't it? Just say it, mate. Come out and say it. I know you <laughs> well, want to. Well, beat gonna... them, so I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> You've told me for three Essendon. days that it's just Marsh not to get excited. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, you can probably field him once every few weeks, but this is just essentially what you needed to see from him. You needed to, you needed to see him on the wing, not on the bench, not in a forward pocket, not in a back pocket, on the wing, getting out those wing minutes. It looks like he's going to be best 22. If he is, he's just he's an easy start for your team. Yeah, and a lot of times in these games, um, you know, weather dependent as well, there's always that one wing that tends, it tends to get used more often. It seems to be every yep, time I sure. go to the football, they use the opposite bloody wing. Yep. So <laughs> he, he's going to get one of those games where he's going to be a link man. Uh, I like the look of it. 46 isn't scaring me off at all. And at 133K, he's barely above basement. So uh, if he's got job security, I'm really, really happy with that. Uh, let's move on, JB. We can't talk about everyone as much as we want to on the Essendon side. Uh, the Battle of the Bridge, well, it was certainly it wasn't really a battle. It was more like a slaying. The Giants, 121 <laughs> to the Swans, 
27. They just saved face with a, a couple goals late to stop it from being a 100-point preseason loss. There's a few things to talk about. I think we need to talk about your boy first in Jordan Dawson, mate. I don't think we can go through all the uh, anyone else before we start with Dawson because he's just your boy. He looked great, didn't he? Uh, he was playing in defense. Uh, the only real thing that you can say about his game, uh, if you want to put a knock on it, is that Lloyd wasn't playing and that we kind of need to see the, dyna- the dynamic of those two together. But essentially, what we've been saying all preseason, whether internally or externally uh, in within the podcast, is that if Jordan Dawson plays 22 games in defense then he's absolutely a good selection. Like he, He's likely to go to top six in either forward or defense, whichever it may be. Um, you've got the fallback of going to the, the weaker line if you need to, if he's really on the cusp. Um, but he he's cheap, and he looks like a good selection for someone who's going to play 22 games. That's if he's going to play 22 games. Now, Longmire does like to change things up a lot. We saw last year Jordan Dawson played a game on the wing. He played a bunch of games up forward and a bunch of games down back. If they get an injury or two to a couple of their players up forward, he's every chance to go up there, which is the concerning thing. If he if he has a few games up there, he scores you know 70s, 80s, he's going to drop back in price again. So I think that's really the only thing stopping me from selecting him. But when I see him in someone else's team, I don't really like. He's not he's not a player that stands out to me. He's like, oh my gosh, you got to get him out. So he's growing on me as a selection as the season goes on. Um, we do need to see the dynamic with him and Lloyd together in the team, but this ticked every single box that you could have possibly hoped to have ticked for a preseason game for Jordan Dawson uh, going into this year. And and don't forget that Callum Mills played in the All-Star game as well. So uh, there's two of their yep. back half generals missing. And I hate to break it to you, all you Sydney fans, Mills is just not going to be the next midfielder that everyone has been hoping Ooh, he would be for the last geez, 15 oh. years. It's just, I think we've got enough evidence to say that now. It's just not going to happen as much. I've had him for four years in a keeper league waiting for this to happen, JB. It's just not happening. Like, so we've just got to, we've got a plan on picking Jordan Dawson on the fact that Mills and Lloyd are going to be there, I think is the important thing. Uh, obviously, Dawson had a great game. 91% time on ground, 84% uh, disposal efficiency, no clangers which is great to see. Um, That's what he's known for. He's got one of the best yeah. kicks in the yeah. league, I think. I, I th- I'm, I'm trying to, off the top of my head, I think he was in the top three in the AFL for shots on goal conversion or something, you know, something yep. like that. He can, he obviously um, has value. You can take that as a positive or a negative. He's great in front of goal, but he's got also good kicking to use in the back half. Take that how you will. Um, but it, it, just kind of a, to spring this on you, JB, if you were picking Jordan Dawson, would you be selecting him in the defense line or the forward line? I think I would personally be looking to see if I can get him in the in the forward line over defense. Yeah, so the defender rookies do look a lot better at this time of the season. So at the moment, I'd have him up forward. Um, but at the end of the day, like he could be someone's D one, and then they could you know then go to say Houston and have maybe. Robertson after that. So if you're going that deep, sorry, that shallow in defense as it is, then I wouldn't be trying to get him up forward, you know, for for what it's worth. So it kind of is team dependent, but at the moment, um, defender rookies look a billion times better than forward rookies. So you're probably more likely to see him up forward. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's, it's kind of scary to see that the Giants were able to do this with basically none of their starting midfield. And the big news that Tim Tarando has injured his, his right shoulder with a uh, a dislocation. Now, we're yet to get 
you know, results of scans and get a prognosis. But if it's a, a you know, a proper dislocation that's going to need a full rehab, that's three to four months. I hate to break it. So there's going to be a role open up and potentially that could happen for Tom Green, JB. 106 super coach points and the highest contested possessions on anyone on the Giants side. He looked right at home at this level. He looks exactly like Clayton Oliver in his first year. He's that type of player. He just gets in, gets under, gets the handball out. His kicking's okay. Uh, he was able to kick a couple of goals as well when he was played up forward. He, he had an interview after the game uh, that said that he'd like to have a bit of a forward mid-split, like he's very comfortable up forward, which Clayton Oliver shows that he can be as well. I, I just liken him a lot to Clayton Oliver. So if we can get a couple of months out of him to start the season at his inflated price, I absolutely believe he can make money. He's just got that body for the AFL. So I think every coach should have their fingers crossed that Tom Green's the one on the on the whiteboard for round one because he'll provide us with a good money maker that we have in the midfield and a midfield that we really have very few options of, of players that look like they're going to make good money. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. Um, we should also talk about some of the young guns that have had a few years in the system in Haitley and Hopper. They basically ran the midfield during this game and it's just, you know, particularly Hopper that, you know, we, we saw his potential a few years ago when he scored uh, a ton on his first game against Gold Coast and had 30 touches. We know the pedigree is there. We know he's a, you know, a contested inside midfielder and he got that um, that chance when Ward was gone last year. But it looks like he uh, may be going to the next level again. And, you know, he, he's going to get another chance with Tim Taranto uh, injuring himself there. So there's a, a few predicting him to break out uh, this year and be another, you know, three-figure scorer. So that's a, another interesting one to watch. Um, but the one that I, I was a little bit disappointed in the return that they got from Jai Caldwell, because I was watching the game and I thought Caldwell was having a really good impact, really zippy around the packs, did a good few, you know, sidesteps, played 60% time of ground, only put on a 42. And he's one that, you know, even last year we expected him to get, um, uh, you know, get some, uh, some game time, elevated 190k. What are your thoughts on Jai Caldwell? It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because a lot of people talk him up on the inner sanctums of of footy fans or, or footy people uh, within the club. So, Jai Caldwell is is one of those players. Caldwell is one of those players that you you know you kind of expect to play, and just the game sort of comes naturally to them. So, um, super coach and this guy should really go hand in hand because gathering the ball, using it well, getting on the scoreboard, he does those things really well as it is. Um, just the 11 disposals in his 60% time on ground. Did kick a goal, which kind of rescued his score a little bit. But as you said, he was kind of just underwhelming. If he does this again in March 2, he could find himself below the likes of Green, below the likes of Haitley, below the likes of a few players that are really, really vying for that Taranto replacement spot. So I don't think he did his chances any favours. And it kind of is good for us super coaches because... Like we said earlier, 30k cheaper is the man, um, Tom Green. So that's who we, I think we should be rooting to get the position. But Colwell, yeah, it's just a bit of a weird one, Chizo. Yeah, interesting. Uh, at that score, he probably doesn't really justify his elevated price. But someone that may be justifying the elevated price is Lockie Ash for the Giants, JB. Broke a oh, 88, I was going to say he broke the 90 barrier, but not quite. Uh, 72% time on ground, 94% disposal efficiency. He's had the 19 touches and, you know, basically had the game that we really wanted to see 
that um, you know he might have a role going forward into 2020. It's hard to break into a side that's literally just made the grand final, but they've got big, big wraps on this high draft pick. I think he went at number three or thereabouts. Um, but he uses the ball well. Uh, he, I just really like the look of his game. You know when you have that eye test when you're just watching a player, you, go, you just think, I, re- I think he's going to get games. And I think that's the same with Lockie Ash. I think he might... He's, going to be playing early and get in and being one that we can put in our back line. Absolutely passed the eye test. Playing off halfback, got 19 disposals, 94% efficiency. Um, we heard about Zach Williams having a, a little bit of Achilles tendonitis, which is a very, very risky injury to, to sort of rush back from. So he might even be in doubt for round one. It's If Ash can lock down a spot in the side, he's another player that we can tick as one of those money makers the only annoying thing is all these rookies are coming from GWS a historically annoying team with rookies so um, if we decide to start trusting them again this year it's most likely we get burnt but we could be having some of the better rookies uh, come from this team and it's scary (laughs) it's honestly one of the scariest things about this season yeah and particularly in defense rookies if we look at Nick Shipley right down the list there He's perennially been absolutely killing the kneeful over the last few years. I think he averages mid-20 disposals playing as a wing in the kneeful, and he just can't get games in GWS. He's going to have to go somewhere to get games because he's supremely talented, uses the ball really well, only 130, 100, bargain basement price, and he can't get a game for GWS. So uh, you're absolutely right in that we do have to be conscious of um, you know how many of these cognizant. rookies. <laughs> be cognizant of how many we're picking from GWS. Uh, Tom Green is the one that's putting his hand up for me. If we jump over to the Swans, looking at another elevated price rookie, it's kind of the opposite to what we got from Tom Green, JB, in Dylan Stevens. We're expecting this uh, big things from a 190k rookie, and while he got 73% time on ground and you know used the ball reasonably well. Just in an absolute smashing against the Giants, he couldn't get the, his hands on the ball and went with a sub-40. Yeah, he's zippy. Um, he looks good. He passes the eye test of someone who's going to be a good footballer. In terms of super coach, he's, he's not quite there. Um, he pretty much is there to break the lines, burst through the packs. Um, he's, he's clean with his disposal, as he said, with his decent disposal efficiency. But I think it's going to be a few years before we start looking at him in terms of super coach because he, he just doesn't get enough of the ball doesn't get enough of the contested possessions either, and that's that's essentially the knock on him. He's just not quite going to be at that elevated price. If he was a bargain basement price, then absolutely would be in high consideration, but at that elevated price, he's just not quite good enough yet. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. He he's. He's got a lot of speed, um, and he uses the ball quite well. He's going to be a phenomenal player. The 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 you know the striking thing for me is that if he can't get his get his hands on the ball because the Swans are just getting you know pumped, it's obviously not going to happen every week. But if it you know a lot of these rookies tend to correlate their scoring with when they're getting fed the ball by the senior players, uh, you know, as opposed to someone like Tom Green who just goes and gets their own footy. They're the kind of players that I want on my side. That you know, it doesn't matter whether they win, lose, draw, they're going to go get their hands on it. Um, it's obviously a small sample size. It's you know, one game is too little to extrapolate and um, you know predict what's going to happen. But just from from watching the game. 
it just felt like the ball was just kind of you know ping ponging over the top of his head, a bit like volleyball. So, and he was the net is the best analogy I can use. Um, one of the rookies that we could talk about, um, rookie price players for the Swans is Justin McInerney. Really interesting. This one kind of came out of left field, JB. I wasn't really, really expecting it um, in in any way. Playing a little bit of a defensive role, put it out on eighty, and uh, selectable. Um, in Supercoach for only 124k as bargain basement. Interesting game. What did you make it make of this one? I don't think anyone really expected this besides Sydney. They have such high raps on this guy. And he played out of defence. Uh, he used the ball well, 73%, played almost the entire game, racked up 19 touches, took five marks. Um, eight of those 19 were contested disposals as well. Um, I think a lot of people at Sydney were expecting and even waiting for this to happen. Not many super coaches really caught wind of this early until it was already happening. So he has a spot now on my bench. I think he's almost likely to be in the round one team. I'd be surprised if he was left out, um, even with a, a subpar March two. I just I really think he's been touted for this for a long time in in sort of the Sydney sort of inner circle. So I expect that he's going to do big things this year. So a very welcome surprise, which is a rookie that hasn't failed in our team so far. Well, the thing is, it, it, you mentioned that he did have a little bit of a, you know, he was playing with dominant, predominantly a bit of a defensive role. He's selectable as a midfield, midf- as a midfielder in Supercoach, midfield only, not not um, DPP into defence. And he's primarily been, you know, groomed last year in his first year in the AFL as a wing. Um, you know, it, it, he's he was a, you know. A, it's a difficult one for me because we've just said that they're missing Mills and they've just got Dawson introduced into the back line. They're also missing Lloyd. And, you know, we're talking about another rookie that's suddenly playing a role that we know people are going to come fill. So I think I, I think I need to see more, much like the Dawson situation. I need to see those guys come back from the, the, the All-Stars game just to see where everyone fits in. Because, you know, if... If he's going to be playing that role every single week, we need to see that with everyone else there. So, you know, he uses the ball well, which is great. But being an outside player, is there a spot for him in the defense for Sydney? I'm not sure. Is there a spot for him on the wing? Maybe. But the more unless- I see from Sydney this year, I feel like they're trying to push Jake Lloyd onto a wing. Uh, I'd like. Even towards the end of last season, I just sort of get this vibe that Dawson is going to be in defense, Lloyd's going to push up to a wing, and someone like McInerney sort of might take that role as the second sort of player out of defense behind Dawson, and, and they're going to be trying to hit Lloyd on a wing sort of thing. It's just the vibe I get at the moment. We we do need to see more, though. Yeah, we definitely need to see more. Can't work too, too much on vibes. We will jump into... Oh, actually, the last one we need to talk about is Sam Naismith. JB, only 250K... 28 hitouts. As much as I want to move on and not talk about it, we kind of have to. Yeah, so I'll, I'll sort of just say that it's it's at the moment it's looking like Cal Sinclair is going to play forward. Naismith is going to ruck predominantly um, for the for the most part of the game. Uh, he did have a low time on ground with 55 percent, but obviously that was uh, that was in big. Big spurts and then uh, rested for big spurts as well. So when he was on, he he was playing you know predominantly through that middle and and just solely rucking. He looked good. Um, he looked average at best on the spread, but that's kind of to be expected. He he hasn't played a lot of footy in the last few years. 
Um, I think the biggest concern for me with Naismith, if anyone's considering really starting him, is his durability. Obviously, it's blow bad. It's it's pretty much <laughs> as bad as you can get. I kind of I wanted to sugarcoat it there and say it's subpar, but it's it's much worse than subpar if you have a look at the numbers. So, um, just one to consider if you're thinking of going a discount R two. If you if he does go down with an injury, you really are backing yourself into a corner with very limited options to get out of. Yeah, because he's just so cheap. Uh, speaking of cheap, we've got one last rookie that I can't believe I've looked over. Sub um, 120k. That's Will Gould, JB. I had I, I was I threw away the key when he cleaned up Matty DeBoer ten seconds into the game. He I don't care if he doesn't start round one. He he's impressed me so much just with that one hit that he's ready for senior footy. He's just locked and loaded. Absolutely, <laughs> throw away the key. That was such from, a good hit from that first bump when you saw this man-child, or no, opposite. This What's the opposite of man-child? Because he's young, child but he's got man. a man's body. <laughs> Not child, man. <laughs> um, you, when you saw him just run through someone who's not a tank, but he's a physical player, Matty DeBoer. That's how he obviously makes a living in the AFL. You just knew. You knew he's AFL ready. You knew he's happy to throw his weight around. He's, oh, he's just absolutely locked into all of our sides. He should have 100% ownership. Yeah, and see, that's another defender that's coming into that Swans back line. I'm getting even more curious about McInerney, but uh, we do have <laughs> we do have to move on. Dockers and the Blues, Fremantle, uh, I guess both teams looked reasonably okay during this game, but I think the consistency of the Dockers over you know the, the length of the, the game was probably what got it done. It was really, really good to see uh, a lot of their young kids standing up. A lot of the guys that you know had really good games were of the younger age group, which I think, you know, Frio probably haven't had for a while. We're talking about the, you know, likes of Chera, Brayshaw, Blakely was good, Buley was good. Um, a lot of these guys that will go into depth in a little bit, kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they really seem to have stepped up, uh, which was really, really interesting to see. The, the one that you want to talk about, I can see you chomping at the bit there, JB, is Blake Akers, 111 super coach. He was just absolutely everywhere. Someone that I myself own in a keeper league cheese off. You are interested to send through your offer. It will take a lot. Um, he looked awesome. He played on the wing, which is where St. Kilda played him sparingly. But anytime he was there, he really just dominated. They just had so many players uh, for that role. And he sort of got pushed forward a lot more than what he should have because he's not a forward. Um, I think Freeman to recognize that bought low on a player who has previously dominated large stretches of football uh, between games and weeks even and played him in his rightful position. So now he's got this forward status, which he shouldn't have because he shouldn't be playing there anyway. He's likely going to play on a wing because that's what he did all this game and, and has dominated doing in the past. He had 31 disposals at a very poor efficiency, which probably won't change. He's not an efficient player. That's... That's not his go-to. That's not his calling card. But he finds the ball. He tackles. He only had two in this game, but he will have more during the season. Ten contested contested disposals. Six clearances. He is an absolute beast. And priced where he is in the position that he is in, he is another one like Parrish, as we said earlier, like Petrarca, like Greenwood, like a lot of other players who's throwing his hat in the ring. And he's almost one of my favorites for that position now. Um, I think the, the thing with Akers is the downside is quite low. He could average 80 or 85 and no one would really blink an eye. The upside isn't amazing. I can't see him averaging 100 plus. I think that would be a big stretch. 
So it sort of leaves him in the middle somewhere. So he's one that you can sort of start without and then trade into, but it wouldn't surprise me if he worked his way towards the top six forwards by the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. You mentioned that he spent most of the time on the wings. He only had four centre bounce attendances, but he had 13 centre bounces where he did line up on the wing, only under Bewley, who had 14. Another, you know, elevated price forward option um, in Bewley, 14 um, uh, centre bounces where he's on the wing. So they're the two wings that we've been told Frio are going to be running this year. So it's interesting that the stats sort of back that up. Um, and definitely a really good game by Aish. I know a lot of people that are really big on him. Uh, someone that I know a lot of people are also big on in Slack particularly is Chera. He looks like he's gone to the next level as well. I think previously we haven't really known where Frio, you know, we're going to use him long term. He spent time up forward. He spent time running on a wing. He spent, uh, I think it was like a third of, a third or a, a 40% of his time in the defense. We got to see him around the ball a lot more this game. He had eight uh, centre bounce attendances, which was you know lower on the list for Freo, but he did really good things when he was in there. And he also lined up on the wing for seven of those centre bounces. So fifteen of the centre bounces he was around the ball, um, and he kind of he did some really really nice things. And at his price, if he's going to be a breakout um, at three hundred and forty k, he's an interesting selection. I would be a little bit hesitant to jump on the Chera train just for the fact that, you know, he's at that awkward price where you have to nail it. You know, when we're looking at, um, you know, his same price as a Devin Smith or slightly more expensive, we've got that previous history with Devin Smith that we can rely on and kind of, you know, build our confidence. We don't really have that with Adam Chera. We know he's got the pedigree being a pick five previously, but we're really sticking our neck out picking someone like this, you've got to be absolutely supremely confident that his role is solid, that he's going to be around the ball and that he's going to beat all of these, you know, the Robertons and the Dudes that are, you know, a hundred or, you know, 50 to a hundred K cheaper that you can get in his place that, are, you know, he's going to outscore them comfortably enough. So just, just one to think about, uh, I think there, JB, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So he summarized it pretty well. He's at that awkward price where, I think um, a lot of smart super coaches who, and I don't say that sarcastically, they are good players and they recognize this talent and a player that could go through the midfield for majority of the game and average really well, but they, they, they're they sort of a year or two too early on it and I can see Chara doing that in the future. I actually really, really rate him as a potential midfielder, but he's still going to get a lot of midfield, uh, sorry, he's still going to get a lot of defender minutes in a team that is likely to digress this season with Ryan already in that defense, um, I just with Fife and Monday to come back into that midfield, it it I just don't think the the stars are aligning for him this season. But he's one for the future for sure, and I think he's you know in a couple of years time going to be 450k after averaging 85, and we're going to be looking hard at him as a defender going transitioning into a full time midfielder. So I can we can definitely look forward to that. I just don't think he's a 2020 pick. Okay, what are your thoughts? Um, I know I've already mentioned him, Brett Bewley. You know, they've t- said that he's going to be designated a wing this year. Spending a lot of time there, only 250k, a score of 93. My only concern is that he used the ball quite well, and he's got. You know, I feel like his score was bumped up on the day. He only had 19 touches and and nearly cracked a ton. I think that's hard to maintain going forward. We need to see you know a, a bit more. Um, you know, possessions on a, a regular basis, more disposals to kind of give us any any hope that he's going to be a, a really high average. 
yeah, and we're talking about a Fremantle 47-point win. I, I just, I can't see it happening too often during the season. He really, he really was, I'm not going to say a downhill skier, but he was one of those players early on and one of those players, you know, late on that, that took advantage and, and really played well against the a Carlton side that, as you said at the start, was kind of inconsistent during the game. They had good patches and really bad patches. So, um, Bueller at 250k, I think he can have the money, can make the money. He's got the potential. But remember, in seven games last year, he only averaged around 50. Um, that's why he's priced at 250k. It's not that he didn't grace the field at all. It's that he did and didn't quite take advantage. Now, obviously, he was predominantly forward during those games, but I, I just don't know how the split's going to work. Is he going to have a, a wing to himself every game for four quarters? Like, and a scorer in the 90s, just it, it seems like a little bit of a reach to me. Now, he's only 250k, so it is kind of low risk. And if we see Devin Smith in a really bad role and Bewley emulates this in, in March 2, then you know 80k difference, then you know that's a lot of money that you can really do some good stuff with. But for me at the moment, I just, I'd just i rather have either a rookie or a potential premium like Devin Smith in my side, not the middleman in Bewley. But I, I can see why people are, are getting their hopes up over him. Yeah, it's just he's the same kind of price as what we see with, like, say, Dylan Robinson in the the, the mid two hundreds. The the thing with selecting these players is you need to be really confident they're going to go eighty plus. You need to be super confident that that's going to happen or that they have the potential. So looking at a Robinson or a Duday, they've both done it before. So it would be unlikely that they would suddenly tank and have a you know a, a sub seventies average and just destroy that pick. With the likes of Bewley, he could totally break out having a full-time role on the wing. He absolutely could do that now that they've lost uh, some of their runners on the outside. The problem is we just haven't seen it, and so we need to see more of it. We need to see it in, in, in Game 2. Uh, another player that we do want to see more in Game 2 is Caleb Sarong. 60 super coach, 56 time on ground, percents time on ground. I actually really, really liked his his game, JB. I, I've I've seen some feedback that you know he's a, a crossing him off the list. He was no good. I actually thought he was great, and he actually he was he was second on the list for contested possessions for the Dockers. He was in there getting the ball and shoveling it out. I thought he did some really, really good things. He only had fourteen touches, but I think you know he may be able to justify his elevated price if he's there for round one. Um, just by the, the the kind of nature of the game he plays in, in in going and get it himself. Yeah, so he was good without being amazing, in my opinion, um, and he definitely wasn't bad. Now, 11 disposals uh, that were contested out of the 14 that he gathered for the game is obviously a huge tick. That's what that's Supercoach scoring gold right there. Um, add Monday and Fife to the mix. I don't know how much of those he, he gathers in a game without them. I think... I think what a lot of people wanted to see was him get you know the twenty disposals playing without your your two most ball dominant players in your side, like they sort of it's like he had the opportunity and although he wasn't bad he he wasn't amazing either and I think that's what a lot of people are getting stuck on. He also hasn't been guaranteed a position for round one, um, and that sounds weird to say because obviously no one's guaranteed a position. You know, everyone's got to fight for their spot, especially rookies. But um, it was there were it was made a specific note of that. Sarong in the preseason would be fighting and that's the quote he'd be fighting hard for a spot in round one um, so probably unlikely to be in their best 22 early 
um, if if that's anything to go by. Now, Fremantle could be big liars. We don't know, but um, <laughs> I, I just I just think they start him slowly through the waffle and bring him in mid season or after a few rounds, maybe after an injury even, or if money needs to rest, something like that. So. Um, one to definitely watch for March 2, especially with a, a full 22 if they're playing that, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, But the thing to know, the, the the thing that I really like about it, he's a high contested possession ratio, even in his junior years. He's a yep. very, very good good clearance player. First game out in the Fremantle Colours, he's had the second most clearances for the game with five uh, for, for the Dockers. Uh, and he's a high pressure player. He's only had two tackles on the day, but he's consistently uh, in the highest of, you know, pressure pressure points for uh, you know the the junior ages. So if he gets a game, there's a reason that he was a high draft pick. So just keep that in mind. Um, and, and all of those attributes lead towards super coach scoring. So I really like the look of that. We'll jump over onto the Blues, JB. There's one player that I want to talk about start to start off just because I've picked up uh, him in a keeper league. It's Sam Walsh, JB. He he, he just he looks like a fifth year player. You've just got to say it. He he looks ahead of his time. It's becoming a genuine question as to how many years we're going to wait before he's locking our sides again, like he was last year. He scored 100, no crips in the side. Um, he just dominated. He had 28 disposals. He was absolutely everywhere, 82% time on ground, which is probably it's probably a little less than what we'd expect from him. He's a, he's a bit of a beast, as you alluded to earlier when you were talking about his tank. Um, he even had four clangers in at a free kick again. So he's just going to be so good. Um, he's not one that we can select this year, but if you're doing a draft or a keeper league draft, and um, or mostly just a keeper league draft, I don't know how high you take him in a normal draft, but he just <laughs> has to be one of your higher selections. He's, he's got so much talent and so much promise. It was interesting. He was a wing last year, and he split the game between inside and wing. So he's had a, a bunch of centre bounce attendances, um, both on the inside of the circle and starting on the outside on the wing. So he uh, he had nine and seven in that order. Um, so I think that's more of what we might see from him in 2020. I, I don't think he's going to become a centre bounce midfielder for at least another season. Um, I think the 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 Blues still have a few bodies that they can put in there. Uh, but I think he's going to increase that time. I think he's going to start on a wing. And as uh, you know, games progress, he'll spend a little bit more time in there. And that's that's what we can expect from him. Uh, but, geez, he's going to be a good player, mate. Uh, another great player to see back in the limelight was Sam Doherty, JB. We've seen everyone, you know... He's one of those polarizing figures. There's no one with middle ground, JB. You either really liked what you saw or you really didn't like what you saw. Which side of the fence are you standing on? Contentiously, I'm starting on the didn't like. Didn't like. Explain. Yes. So I, th- I feel like we're about to have a really big argument here, Cheezo. So pre- we are. Pre- prepare yourself. Um, 19 disposals, tick. He's been out of the game a long time, sure. Um, seven marks, great. Two tackles, awesome. Um, five contested possessions, three clangers, whatever. Um, 57% disposal efficiency, don't care. He's been out of the game for a long time. Uh, he could have 5% disposal efficiency. As long as he's getting through the game, 80% time on ground, huge tick. Every single one of those stats is a huge tick, and I, I loved that from him. The thing that I didn't like about Sam Doherty, and the thing that's made me question his spot in my team for the first time since Supercoach opened, is the role. Now, he just he wasn't 2017 Doherty. You know, like the the rebounding off halfback, the Carlton switching the ball every single play, getting him the footy and, and watching him run or kick or deliver or whatever it was. 
he was more of it wasn't even like they were doing that less and he was still in those spots or still available they he kind of was just a kick behind that so he was giving it to the simpsons and the the running players off half back the I, I don't even know how to have running off half back to be honest but um not himself um he was ha- he was passing the ball to that that player and then and then watching them run so i don't know if this is something that he's going to take four or five rounds to get into before he takes back that role or whether it was just this game that he needed to work into to take back that role or whatever it was. But his role felt more back pocket rather than half back. And that's what scares me because in that role, he's going to do what he did this game and he's going to score 70s and 80s and occasional 90s and he's a great player, so occasional 100s, whatever. In that role though, he is looking at an 80, 85 average at best. In the role of the half back Doherty that we know well, he's 95 average potential top six candidate. At the moment, he needs another March series game at least to convince me that he's going to be taking that role. Okay, I think they're all fair points. I think that they relate more to the first half than the second half. I think he really came out of his shell in the second half. We saw a lot of, you know, the fact that he's had nine, uh, sorry, seven marks topping the Blues for the game in terms of marks indicates to me that he's, you know, and we saw it watching the game in the second half. He was still there for the switches. It, it was still going on. So it's not that it's not there. It's just that it's probably taking him a little bit of time to get up to speed. And so the the point that you might take from that is that he might start slow. I don't think that Sam Doherty, with the skill that he has, is going to come back and be an 85-point defender. I, I don't see that happening. And... You know, he played averaging 110 before the kicking rules were a thing. Now, on the weekend, he also took the most kickouts for the Blues. So, it's interesting that there's so the same data set can be, you know, interpreted two separate ways. Because I, I, I think we have to be conscious of our bias as well. I'm, I obviously want to start Doherty, so I'm looking at this at a positive light and it's important to kind of look at it um, you know take a step away and see whether it is a, a good selection and you know maybe Marsh 2 will, will tell us more um, but I, you know I just really I really did like the look of you know how we came back and I see the potential I see the old Doherty in the way that he's delivering the ball so um, that's just personal opinion um, but yeah, interesting to see that the, the two sides of the fence. Uh, we'll jump into uh, the next one that we should talk about on the blue side. It's another defender, someone that's um, very, very close to finding their way into my defensive line, JB. It's Tom Williamson. How did you make his game? Yeah, so just just a quick chat on this one. He had 12 disposals um, rotating around the defense. Didn't have an exact role um, that he was taking, but I think he's... He's not not exactly a third man up. He he's probably more so um, taking a man and sort of running with him for the entire game. But um, he's the type of player. And if you ask any Carlton fan, uh, despite me not hearing about this guy for years while he was injured, ask him about him now, and they'll tell you that he was one of their biggest missing pieces to drastic improvement over the last couple of years. Just with his his back injury, played barely any footy at all. Hence his price. Um, but they he's he's rated really highly amongst fans and it's just it's crazy to hear. So that has given me enough enthusiasm to whack him into my team. 
He scored 52, which is probably around what we can expect. Um, I think he can pop out occasional 70s and, and make a bit of cash for us. But it sounds like he's got, if anything, above all, it sounds like he's got the job security really on lockdown. So I think he just needs to be fit going into the first round, which at the mo- at the you know at this stage of his career has been a huge question mark. But um, if he can do that, then I think he'll find himself in a lot of Supercoach teams purely for that job security and, and the fact that he, if he's consistently scoring 50s, then he's essentially just going to be that slow burn player that we you know don't need, would prefer the fast burn players, but um, that we don't mind having on our bench. Yeah, it's interesting that you you say he's got that job security lockdown because all he does is play lockdown. He does a little bit of intercepting and stuff like that, but <laughs> there, there's not there's not many parts of his game that are high scoring. In that he's not a you know supremely gifted um, interceptor and and a lot of the defensive traits that are going to help him pump out eighties. You know the odd ninety on a, a basis that are going to help generate cash if you're picking Tom Williamson in my eyes you're picking him as a bench option because he's going to be playing he's kind of like the Ben King of the defense in that you don't really want to have him on field at any point in time because he's just going to score you you know a 50s and things like that but if he's got job security he's going to be burning away ticking over a little bit of cash and that's going to be useful at some point because right now you know, rookies are the how we should be structuring our side. We should be, you know, picking the important rookies and then building our team around them and not the other way around. So, uh, certainly interesting. There's one more player that you want to talk about in Jack Martin, JB. Only the half of the game. Blame me. They, they, <laughs> Just blame they, me completely. He's the one guy that you want to talk about. Uh, only played the uh, the first half as they put him on ice. He only had the nine disposals, which is, you know, pretty typical Jack Martin. 45% time on ground, but he did tick all the right boxes. And there's a few out there that, you know, think he could break out and be a good player this year, but he's just too expensive for mine to be relevant at all. I think he's a trap, and that's why I wanted to bring him up. So um, he played quite a bit of midfield time, which a lot of people were, you know, obviously enjoying a lot. Scored 75 super coach points, which is a huge tick, especially in a half of footy. That's crazy. Um, I just don't think he gets that role. Um, add Cripps back to the mix. Add a few other players back to the mix. Mark Murphy, etc. He just doesn't get that role for me. Um, I, I think he plays predominantly forward, say 70%, maybe 30% midfielder in there. I think he can average 80, 85. At an absolute stretch, he could push 90. He's got a lot of talent. There's no doubt in that. But he's playing on in one of the worst eight teams in the AFL at the moment as a forward who relies on goals and pressure. Uh, I know he's going to get the pressure. I don't know if he's going to get as many goals as, as what would like and just don't think he can average enough. But I've seen a lot of people get excited over this performance and I, I just want to temper people's expectations because I don't think he's exactly locked and loaded at the moment. Yeah, that a lot of people are getting ahead of themselves. Saying, telling me that he's playing midfield, he only had three centre-bounce attendances, which is just not enough to suggest that he's going to be a full-time mid in my Correct. eyes. We'll jump into the last game of the round. It was the Tigers and the Magpies. Pistol was still off celebrating. I had to try and bring him back down to earth, telling me it was only March 1, but he keeps saying something about beating the Premiers or whatever. But um, one of the players that really has sparked interest, our interest is Darcy Cameron, JB. It's... It was an interesting pickup in the off season for me, you know, in that they have Cox and they have uh, Grundy. How are they going to use him? But he played predominantly um, wherever the ball was. He ran around as the you know the, the the designated ruckman, kicked a couple snags as well. 127 super coach. 
it, it's no longer a, 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 a situation of do we handcuff him with Grundy at R3. He might even be a rookie selection that we can play on our field in the forward line. Yeah, so I think, obviously, in terms of scoring potential and, and potential on-field option, we need to see him with Grundy, which I think we will in March too. The main question is, is he ahead of Mason Cox? I personally think he should be. I think he's a better Ruckman, and I think he's as absolutely worst case, as good a forward as Mason Cox is. He should be. But whether Collingwood will make him earn that via the VFL, whether they'll start him there, whether they'll... Whatever they do, um, it's not a guarantee that he plays round one. So although he's had a great game, and he probably should be in all our sides at the moment, he's still a sceptical selection for round one. So we've got to keep that in mind. Um, besides that, he, he he couldn't have ticked any more boxes this game. Um, I think R3 at the moment is where a lot of people should be putting him. Um, provides a bit of cover in case Gorn potentially goes down with an injury. And I know a lot of people are talking about that with his... Obviously, he's... Uh, preseason not being squeaky clean so essentially all this has done is he's locked in the fact that we do need to have someone around 120k on our bench in the ruck it's not a 102k you know ruck sort of year um worst case scenario is in our forward line if you've got someone like cherry in your ruck r3 i think we've got a lot of good options this year um but he's definitely one of the absolute best ones and he will play football this year there's no way that cox plays 22 games this year absolutely no way in fact, he probably shouldn't even play five this year. So all on the Darcy Cameron train. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned that you think he should be at R3. Um, is that you suggesting that we shouldn't have our floating loophole in in the ruck line? Because obviously the Collingwood tend to play earlier on in the, uh, you know, they, they have the big Bloster games. They have the, the Friday nights. They have the Saturday nights. Is is that meaning you're maybe thinking that maybe M11 is going to be our ruck loophole, you know, our, our captaincy loophole, loophole this year? Yeah, potentially. It's tough because usually our rookies are our best producers of of the um of the coin, and at the moment it's looking. <laughs> I couldn't have said that weirder, could I? Uh, it's it's looking dodgy in that line. So even players like McHenry, who were looking really good early, has a bit of an injury cloud now. He might still get up for round one, which would be great, but. Um, I think it's really tough and we really need to make money this year. I think there's a very real scenario in which we go in with no loophole to start the season and, and we just try try to nail our captains early because at the moment, I don't know about you, Chizo, but I'm finding it extremely difficult to nail down six or seven players that'll make me enough cash within the first month to, to start doing my upgrades. So... Um, hopefully that becomes clearer during the the March series and a few more players emerge. But you know some of these players, like even the McInerney for Sydney, you brought up so many good points about why he might not play. But he's one of my better midfield options at the moment. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I totally understand what you're saying. It's just uh, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd dig deeper into it just because I found it interesting. I, I love the fact that we have that DPP with Darcy Cameron, so we could stick mm. him. Uh, in the forward line if we wanted to and then use that to, you know, if we needed him for coverage, for example, if we did, uh, you know, handcuff him with Grundy and then Grundy happened to have an injury or something like that, guess who's coming into the side? So um, it, it's kind of got that inherent, um, you know, safety built into it. So it, while you could also play him on the field, because if he's playing a ruck, let's say, heaven forbid, Grundy goes out and he starts playing the game or Cox is out and Cameron's playing, He's going to get enough points on a day on 
just playing as a you know even a backup ruck to be worthy of a, a a fielding selection. So you're kind of stuck if you plan on having him at at R three because then you can't you you may find yourself in a situation where he's just scored you 127 on the bench. Um, so it's just, yeah, just just thought it was super interesting to talk about. Um, the next player that we should uh, touch on is a, a bit of a unique midfield option that now probably has to be taken out of your side. In Adam Trelaw, had a little bit of a hamstring tightness. Uh, I don't think it's been reported yet if it's a proper tear, JB. But perhaps you can correct me on that if it has come out. Uh, but he looked absolutely flying and justifying his eight percent ownership going into the. Um, into the weekend, but then that that tightness in the hamstring about halfway through the last quarter. I think there was about twelve minutes remaining, and I, I think I don't think I can take someone into the season, you know, this close. It's only it's less than three weeks away until their first game. Is that enough time to firstly recover and then get back to peak peak potential? I'm not sure it is. Yeah, so I think it's been reported as a strain at the moment. Um... I think that's official. I'm sure someone will correct us, but um, I'm pretty sure it's a strain. It's still in the air with round one. Um, I think if anything, is likely to play, but as you said, missing a few weeks of preseason is, is actually really detrimental, especially when all around you at that price, you've got fit players uh, with good seat preseasons like Clayton Oliver, Dangerfield. Uh, I could name a dozen. Bonzapelli, Dunkley, McRae, you know, all the players, Neil. Um that essentially fighting for that one spot in your team. I think it's easy to just take him out, um, trade for him during the season. If you really do want him in your side, um, he'll still be a point of difference then as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's quite safe. Yeah, not super coach relevant, but Jordan Ngoi has gone back to having a flog haircut. Um, I think I, I think I think that it just he's definitely not anywhere near my side because of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely need to bring that up. Um, and there's a couple of rookies on the pie side that uh, were picking our interest. We were interested in Trent Bianco at 117k, 23% time on ground, and only the four touches. I think crosses his name off the list. And yep. Jay Randall, uh, another 117k midfielder, only 24% time on ground again. Um, as good as he was in that twenty four percent, I just I, I I don't think going forward um, he he's going to have any sort of job security as well as he did play, and he he looked really good, but um, it, it just worries me off like that. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Collingwood are into blooding rookies earlier in the season. Um, they don't have a lot of injury concern, despite what we just spoke about with Adam Trelaw. But you know, he's still a good chance to get up for round one. So um, I think they're they're two two players that'll be maybe first or second cab off the rank if there are injuries, but um, we're looking mid to late season before we see those guys. Um, one guy that did do really well, uh, John Noble, not quite rookie price. He's around 220K in our back line. Um, racked up the pill. He had 23 disposals, six marks, couple of tackles. Um, he only got 79 super coach, not due to poor efficiency, but more so just due to the... Yeah, I mean, he got he, he, only three. The of nature his 20, of his disposals. Yeah, okay. only three of yeah. his twenty-three disposals were contested. So, um, I think he's an, he's a small option if we really do start running out of defender options. Um, it does look like our strongest line. His job security, I don't think, will ever be rock solid. But one to at least consider and watch during March too, because I think he's got that spot on lockdown for now. Yeah, sure. We'll jump over to the Tigers, and it's another defender. Uh, in Jaden Short, I do want to talk about uh, only 350k. He 
had a small, you know, um, breakout, a few, you know, only a, a few seasons ago where he was taking the kickouts and, and being that general across half back. It's interesting that, you know, he played pretty much that same role, obviously not playing with Hawley, who, you know, took over the, you know, the kickouts and things like that last year. Uh, just something to stay conscious of because he's another cheap defender that has the scoring potential if he has the right role. Um, so j- just dem- uh, definitely one to, you know, just keep an eye on. Um, but it was really the Pickett show in, you know, all eyes were on um, uh, Pickett in, in that respect. I think what we've seen with this game and backed up, um, you know, by by his history uh, before he made it to the AFL is he's going to be, you know, a, a low to mid-teens disposal getter that uses the ball quite well and does some really nice things. But I, I, I think we need to temper our expectations on what Pickett can average this year. You know, the the one sample size we had to go on was basically the best debut in a grand final anyone's ever seen ever, and he's he went he went ninety six. So I think we need to you know, as good as it'd be to have him you know average eighty for the season at bargain basement price and help us make cash. I think we need to you know bring those expectations down a little bit, even if he did do some absolutely fantastic things. I think there was uh, he spun out of a pack in the forward pocket. And used his vision to to hit the the leading um, Coleman Jones um, on on the chest uh, out in front, you know directly out thirty meters in front of goal, which was fantastic. Um, but I just don't think that he's going to get enough of the pill to be averaging up towards a hundred mark. No, so I think it'll be around the it'll probably pepper the seventy mark, so enough to be on our field in the midfield, especially this season of all seasons. Um, I think best case he probably goes around seventy five to eighty, but. That's best case. That's that's expecting quite a lot. So I think more the more so the nature of Richmond's um, form will dictate a lot. I mean they're going to win a lot of games this year as they do every year. Um, they got pumped by forty in this one, and he didn't have a lot of help in that midfield. So when they get it all together, if he's their fourth best midfielder in at any time, then I just think he's that. That's when he's really going to shine, and he's really going to be like an unsung type of player for the whole season. So. Like around 70, I think, is, is probably a good expectation. Yeah. Riley Collier-Dawkins was another one that I had big expectations on, JB. Only the 55% time on ground. Only the 30 in Supercoach. I really was hoping to see more because he's developing really, really well in the VFL. But again, as we said with the GWS game, it's going to be really hard for to, to break into a premiership team or a grand final team. He does all the right things, but... I, I think the you know the percentage time on ground indicates to me that you know maybe he's not in their thoughts for round one. Nah, I don't think he is. I think we will see him this season, um, which is good for a potential ground, downgrade option. But um, nah, I don't think he's in their round one plans. Um, happy to just watch him continue to to grow in the VFL, and hopefully we can trade down to him uh, during the season. All right. Are there any other players that you want to talk about that I haven't touched on so far on the podcast? At all, I think there was only really one that you missed that was a uh, probably probably a good talking point, and that was Andrew Brayshaw. Um, we said a lot during this game that Fremantle was seeing a couple of midfielders, but he went in there, only got the 19 disposals, but tackled hard with seven. Um, nine of his disposals were contested. Uh, only 60% game time for his 94 super coach points. So uh, I think he's definitely one to watch in March two with a full midfield if he can. Uh, emulate that sort of performance in 80% time on ground um, and still score around 94. I know I'm adding time on ground, but keeping your score the same, but that's what Fife effect kind of does to you. Um, then I think he's 
I I'm not big on him, but I think a lot of people will love to see that sort of output from him, and it'll be enough to sort of get him into their teams, which I can't really argue against with any sort of uh, logic because he's he's looked good all preseason, and and that would be two out of two good Marsh series appearances. And he's a fitness beast as well. I think he, he, he is, broke yeah. broke the record or something for the beep test or whatever they do the yo-yo test now. So um, <laughs> he, I, no, I think I genuinely think that's what it's called. Um, uh, yeah, I know it's been a long time since I've run, so I just took your word for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, that time ground doesn't doesn't phase me in, in any respect. So. That pretty much wraps up the Marsh to JB. Thanks for jumping on with me, mate. It's been great talking football with you. I've been a much better guest than Pistol, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> You've enjoyed yourself more, I think. Uh, mate, if they want to catch us during the week, where can they find us? Uh, so, Chizo just ticked over 1,000 followers. Congratulations, mate. Oh, really? I think so. Are you jamming me up? Hold on, I'm going to check. I swear, I thought I thought during the week you had nine nine nine, and then I just assumed that someone's surely some hey, sucker is going for it. Good stuff. There you go. Uh, I've got more of a stronghold. I don't on have Twitter a great Twitter game though. Let's be honest. I mean, it, it, look, it's not perfect, but it's also <laughs> not the worst that I've seen on there. Uh, I'm looking at you, Pistol. So, at Chizo underscore DRSC is your handle. Mine is at JB underscore DRSC. Pistol's at Pistol underscore DRSC. Uh, we're far more active on the actual Dr. Supercoach one, which is at Dr. underscore SC. So, you can find us all over there. Please leave a message on our Facebook post as to what you liked or didn't like about the podcast. Bit of a longer format this time. Um, we didn't think there'd be a lot to talk about, but we can thank Fremantle for the 30-minute the chat that they pretty much had all to themselves. So um, if you do like the longer format, let us know. Um, I think I think we've, uh, we've now this one cheese off, I'm honest, mate. So um, yeah, make sure you just hit us up on any of our socials. Yeah, sounds good, mate. And if you do like this shorter form podcast, you can find them in Patreon with the Doctor's Daily Dose. We've got those coming out right up until round one. And, Ten minutes uh, of pop, pretty much. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and then, and then uh, we do have some stuff coming out on our YouTube as well. We've got a, an interesting video coming out soon, JB, on what you shouldn't do with selecting your side. It's going to be a little bit of a, uh, a head turner this one because as soon as it comes out, I'm going to get a lot of DMs saying how crazy I am. But it's interesting uh, to talk about, so I can't wait for that to come out. Thanks for listening, community. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you do have some new players coming into your side and you're changing things up. Uh, Don't get too crazy with it. Remember why you're picking certain players, but I hope you're having fun with it as well. All right, we're going to see you once again very soon, March 3, the last look at some of these players coming up soon. We'll talk to you again soon.